you have your Bibles, take them out to Haggai chapter 2. Good morning, everyone. Hopefully everyone's doing well this morning. I, I remember years ago, many years ago, driving my car, and I got stuck in the snow. How many of you have ever been stuck in the snow? You know what I'm talking about. You get stuck in the snow, you're driving. And I was younger, the weather was really bad, and out driving, and, and I got stuck in the snow. And, you know, once you get stuck, you think, boy, all I got to do is just, I, I, I'm smart enough to figure this out, and I'm just going to spin the tires a little bit, and sooner or later, I'll, I'll hit the bottom, I'll get out. Well, I started spinning the tires, and the car just got deeper and deeper in the snow as you spin. And then I tried to rock the car back and forth, rock, and just made the path a little bit longer. But I just was going down to the bottom, finally hit the bottom of the car. So it was before cell phones came out, so what are you supposed to do? You're supposed to call. You can't call anyone. So you're contemplating in your mind, do I get out and walk back, back where I came from or to go forward to call somebody? So you sit there in the car for a while, and sooner or later you think, well, I'm stuck. So maybe, maybe what I'll do, I'll just try to rock it again. And you try to do it, it doesn't help at all. I don't know if you've ever been stuck in the snow or stuck in your own life. Or maybe you're not stuck with the car, but maybe today you feel like you're stuck in a job. Maybe right now you're in a job. You say, man, I don't look forward to going to work tomorrow morning. I, I, don't, I look forward to Friday afternoons, Friday evenings where I am get off. And that job once, once was fun, that job where, where you've looked, it, you, had, you had fun there, but no longer you have fun, no longer you have joy there. You just feel like you're stuck in your job. Maybe for you it's not a job. Maybe for you it's a relationship. You, you've been in this relationship for a while, and it was, it was all right, but it's not getting any better. And now you've had some bad days, maybe bad weeks, and you feel like you're stuck. Maybe it's in your marriage. We're in your marriage. When you look back at your marriage, you had some incredible honeymoon. You had some incredible years. And maybe you had some children, some great events in your life. You had some children. If you're older, maybe your children graduated from high school and even got married. But now you're at a point in your marriage where you say, man, it's not what it used to be. And I don't think it's ever going to get any better. And you just feel stuck. Maybe for you, it's your Christian life. Uh, when you look at your Christian life, and I just feel like I'm stuck, and you've had so, a great past. You've done some, had some wonderful experiences with God. You've seen prayer answered. You've seen God lead people through, to, to Christ through you, and you've done all these things, and maybe you've been in some great ministries, but now all of a sudden you're in a place where you say, that's not happening. I just feel stuck. And you wonder what I do, wonder what, what I'm going to do, and, and what did I do wrong? That's exactly the way the children of Israel felt here in Haggai too. They felt stuck. So if you, and God had a word for them. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Haggai too. But let me give you a little brief update before we get in this book. And each week I do that because it's really important. If we're going to understand God's word to them back then, we need to understand what he's saying to them so we can understand how we can apply it to our lives today, centuries later, right? Well, the children of Israel were in captivity, but before they were in captivity, they were worshiping idols and they weren't uh, serving the Sabbath as they were commanded to observe. So God sent prophets. God was faithful to send prophets, especially the prophet Jeremiah, to tell them to repent of their ways. Other, guy, other ways, God was going to bring discipline upon them. And he's going to use the nation of Babylon to do it. Well, they did not listen. They did not repent. So eventually, God brought them under captivity. And the Babylonians came in and finally destroyed the city of Jerusalem. In what year? 580 what? 586 B.C. I thought you'd have it down. I've said it. 586 B.C. Remember that date. It's a really important date because that was the date the temple that was so important to their life was destroyed. That was also the Ark of the Covenant representing the presence of God was never to be seen of again. The Shekinah glory of God that was part of the temple from the dedication on 
was gone, no longer coming. And so the people there were carried off in captivity, and the city and the temple now are in disgrace. And so the people, while they're in captivity, Psalm 137 tells us that while they're by the rivers of Babylon, their captors would kind of taunt them, mock them, and say, oh, sing us some of those songs of, of Zion, how beautiful it was and how great it was, but now you're here and you can't go back. And the people, of uh, uh, children of Israel would say, if we ever forget Jerusalem, if we ever forget Jerusalem, maybe we m- m- lose the, the power in our right arms so we're defenseless and helpless. If we ever forget Jerusalem, maybe we lose our, our, our tongue, stick to the roof of our mouth so we can't talk or we can't speak. Uh, if we ever forget Jerusalem. And then in 539 B.C., the Persians take over the Babylonian Empire. Now they're the world empire at that time. And the first Persian king, Cyrus, allows 50,000 of the Jews to go back to their homeland, to Jerusalem, to leave Babylon. And they come all the way back to Jerusalem to build the temple. That was their commission. And they come back with Zerubbabel, who's appointed the governor over Judah. You have Joshua, not Joshua uh, of the Old Testament in, in the book of Joshua or the one with Moses. It was a different Joshua. He's the spiritual leader. He's the high priest. And they were to come back and rebuild the temple. So they come back and they begin to work. And, and they're working at this. And, and, but, so it's 538 B.C. and they start clearing this temple mound. And this temple mound is going to be much smaller than Solomon's temple. Much, much smaller. It's a miniature size. And, and so they, many of them remembered and, and they understood that the Ark of the Covenant was going to be there. The Shekinah of glory of God wasn't going to be there. And remembering all the glory of that temple that they had before, began, began to be drawn back to that, began to think about that. And when they thought about that, they began to complain about the work, that this work isn't going to be what it used to be. And so God had to speak to them. And, and, and when I think of that scenario, if we could put our first slide up here, I think of this scenario, what, what happens here, is when, we're, when we have this, there's always a tension between our past and our future, isn't it? Always a tension. And, and it pulls at us, always pulls at us. It pulls in, in our lives, pulls in the life of the church, but it also pulls in the life of, of the children of Israel at that time. There's also a tension vertical between realities and dreams, what we have. The reality and dream, like my dream is that I'd own a real fancy car one day like a Bugatti or a Maserati, a real fancy car. But the reality right here is I'm having a hard time making my payments on my Chevy Impala. It's just an illustration. I do not own a Chevy Impala, but you get what I'm saying. I have my dreams. I have my dreams, but the reality is I don't have the resources. I don't have the money. I don't have that to do that. So if you could put up the second slide. The second slide, Israel was caught right here. This is where they were, and they're kind of looking at the, the past glory in their life. And, and they're thinking right now, boy, that temple that we once had was so magnificent and marvelous. And now God is asking us to build the temple, the challenge is to build the temple. No way we can do that. And then they're also stuck in the realities right now. Boy, we don't have the resources that we used to have. We don't even have the, the, the skilled trade because a lot of the skilled trade built in Solomon's temple came from foreigners. We don't have those wonderful trees of Lebanon to build, build this temple. We don't have the gold. We don't have the silver. We don't have the marble. So they're stuck back there. They're stuck down here in the realities, and they're stuck in the past, the past glory. And that's what they've got their minds on. So God is now, now it's 520 B.C., and for 16 years, this foundation is laid in waste. It's laid in ruins because they got discouraged. Because I've talked to you about the Samaritans. The Samaritans didn't want the Jews to rebuild the temple. They didn't want them to be strong. So they complained to, they complained to the, the Persians. 
And the Persian basically heard their complaint, and so what they did, they made a decree, and they kind of stopped the support for this temple. So what happened is the, the Jews, they stopped, the children of Israel stopped building the temple. And so the temple foundation just sat there for 16 years with reeds growing up around it. After 16 years, there's probably trees growing up around it, right? By that time, 16 years, wow, that's a long time. So their problem then was complacency. They had misplaced priorities at that time. And God said, then get to work. Go up to those mountains and cut down the trees, like I told you 18 years ago, and come back down and rebuild my temple so my glory may be full. Now, God is going to speak to them again. After he had spoken to them the first time, within three weeks, they got back to work. But now they've been working about a month, about four weeks, and now God is going to have to give them another message. Because what's going on, their problem was a complacency. They're obedient right now. Their problem now was discouragement. They're discouraged at what they're seeing. They're looking back at these glory days right here and think, oh, man, it's so much better back then. Why can't we go back then? And God had to encourage them. And that happens to nations like Israel. It happens to churches. It happens to individuals like us, too. When we look at those good old days, and we think of those days are, are bigger and better than they, than they are today, we always look back at those days and think how wonderful it was. There are people here in our church who remember the past history. There are people in our church that don't even remember the past. They don't really care about the history. So their question is not about the history. Their question is, what's in the future? Where are we going? What are we going to do? What are we going to do in the future? And the challenge of any leadership of any organization is to try and manage that change process of what you're going to do. And what you're trying to do, we don't want to forget the past. We want to build up on the past to take it in the future. We could have the third slide. So the third slide, what, what we want to do, we want to we kind of recognize our future, remembering the past, but seeing the dreams fulfilled in spite of the reality that we're in. And that's what we want to do, recognize the future, building on the past, seeing dreams fulfilled, and in spite of the reality that's in front of us. Because we don't want to live by reality. We don't want to live here. We want to see dreams fulfilled, right? And that's where God wants us to live in our life, to see dreams fulfilled in our, in our hearts and our minds and all those kind of things. And that's what he wants. But it can work in churches, but it can also work with individuals as we're trying to live our lives for God. And we can also get caught up in the past many times. And we get caught up in the past, and, and sometimes it's based on the glory, that uh, the way we served God in the past, maybe we were involved in uh, a great prayer ministry, maybe we were involved in seeing people come to Christ, we are involved in leading a Bible study, maybe leading men's ministry or women's ministry or VBS. We, we were doing those things, but all of a sudden, that was in the past, and we're not doing that anymore. And we think about those past, and, and sometimes the past can neutralize us into the future, right? Sometimes it can, it can keep us from going into the future because we're comfortable in the past. We have those past memories of those ministries we used to do, and how much greater it was back then where we were doing those things and we're caught in the past, and we're drawn back to the past in our minds and our hearts many times, right? And sometimes we're drawn back to the past because of sin. And maybe it was sin committed against us, that we were the victims of that sin. And we feel so broken right now because of what has happened in our lives, and, and we can't move forward. And maybe some of you this morning are in that category, where someone sinned against you, and you've been hurt so badly, and, and you feel broken. And every time you try to move forward, you just remember the past, how someone has hurt you, and you're hurt so badly, so I can't move forward. Or maybe sometimes the sin is the sin we have committed. 
we've committed some sin, and we have the shame of that sin. And it constantly draws us back because of the things that we've done. And maybe we're trying to do something good for God, and we're on that pathway to do a good work for God. And then all of a sudden, the evil one, our own flesh, reminds us, who do you think you are? You're going to step out and do that? You can't do that. You remember who you are? You remember the sins that you've committed? Remember all those bad things that you've done? You're worthless. You can't do this. Well, there are three guys from the Bible. Moses, who was a great leader in the Old Testament. David, who was a man after God's own heart. And then you have Paul, who was an apostle in the New Testament. They all three had something in common. You know what that was? They're all murderers. They all murdered somebody in their life. And if they were to let the past pull them back, we wouldn't have what we have today. We wouldn't have what we have. But Moses, under inspiration of God, wrote the law. David, under the inspiration of God, became a great king and wrote some beautiful songs for us to read. Some of the most beautiful songs and words ever been written, written by David. And the apostle Paul, who wrote 13 of the New Testament uh, books and challenged the church, we wouldn't have that. So we can't let the past hold us back. We've got to move forward, right? Right, we've got to move forward. We can't stay in the past because God doesn't want us to stay there. My question is, we've got to move forward. And you understand it, right? Did you find the book of Haggai? You've got the book of Haggai. Everybody's found that now. So if you have your outline out, the one truth that I want to make sure that you understand this morning is our, our future in Christ is far greater than our past. Our future in Christ is far greater than our past. And the question is, do you believe that? Do you really believe that? You say, Doug, yes, I, I, that's obvious because our future is heaven, right? And heaven's always going to be greater than our past. Well, that's true, but I'm not talking about heaven. I'm talking about earth right now. I'm talking about earth. Whatever our past is, our future can be greater in Christ. And hopefully you believe that. In order to accomplish that, we need to listen to the word of God that he spoke to the prophet Haggai in chapter 2. So if you have your outlines, I want to give you the first point. We need to embrace two perspectives about the past. The first one is don't let the past hinder your work in the present. That's so important. Don't let the past hinder your work in the present. So let's begin reading Haggai chapter 2. We're going to read verse 1 and 2. Verse 1. On the 21st day of the seventh month, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Now, a prophet is just a spokesperson for God. That's all that is. Verse 2. Speak to Zerubbabel, son of Jeteel, governor of Judah, to Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest, into the remnant of the people, and asked him. That just seems like a very bland introduction to what God has to say, but there's two very important things that he's sharing with us there. And the first one is the exact day when this happens, he's sharing with us. This is exactly four weeks after they started building again. But it's also, it happens to be the last day of the Feast of Tabernacles, or the Feast of Booths. And the Feast of Tabernacles is one of the three major uh, annual celebrations the children of Israel were commanded to come and celebrate every year while they lived there in Israel. And so the men would come and they would celebrate this in the city of Jerusalem, these three big festivals. They were grand, they were glorious, there were celebrations, there was food, there was worship. It was fantastic, and they looked forward to it. But this year it's different as they're celebrating because they weren't back in the land, they're back in the land, and, and now they're having this festival, they're celebrating this festival without the resources of the previous years without even the purpose of the, the previous years that they had, the purpose that they had it. And they're coming to this location, and this venue's a mess. And they remember what it used to be like. Now, all around, there's just piles of rubble all around. And they're seeing this mess all around as they're kind of standing around and looking at it, and they begin to complain. 
that we don't have the resources to build this, that we can't do this job that God's asked us to do, and it's never going to be the same. The second thing I want you to notice, that God tells Haggai to speak, the prophet to speak to the people, and he says, I want you to speak to these three people groups, these three people. To first to Zerubbabel, the, the political leader, the governor of Judah, second to Joshua, the spiritual leader, the high priest, and then third to the remnant, to the people. He says, speak to them and say the same thing to all of them. I want you to speak to them. So now we have the message of Haggai in, in chapter 2, verse 3 through 5. And in verse 3, God asked him three questions, and we want to go through those three questions. Three questions. Verse 3. Who of you is left who saw this house in its former glory? How does it look to you now, and does it not seem to you like nothing? Now, this is 65 years about after the temple had been destroyed, and God was asking the first question. He's asking the question, how many of you were there and you saw the former, temp the former temple? And he's probably looking for a show of hands, and maybe some of them are raising their hands, saying, I was there, I was there. So then he asked him the second question. He gets to the second question. I asked him if I can get my page turned here. And he says, how does the temple look to you now? Those who have seen the temple, do you remember what it was like? How does it look to you now? And then he asked him the third question. Does the temple seem like nothing? He asked him. And, and see, Solomon's temple took 46 years to build. It was amazing. It was beautiful. It was magnificent. The cedars of Lebanon, the gold, the silver, the marble. It had the, the ark was in it, the kind of all those kind of things. It was beautiful. When he says, you remember the temple, they didn't have their smartphones to take out. Say, oh, yeah, remember that picture there? They didn't have cameras. They opened up the photo album and look at the photo album. But they had the picture in their minds. And even as children, because 65 years is about, even as children, they probably had this picture. And God is saying, I want you to look at that. How does it look to you now? How does that temple look to you now? It, does it look like nothing? And those that remember the price, yeah. Compared to Solomon's temple, this is nothing. It doesn't mean compare. Let's not even compare it. So then God goes on and he says this to them in verse 4 and 5. But now be strong, O Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, O Joshua, son of Jehoshadak, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord, and work, for I am with you, declares the Lord Almighty. This is what I coveted with you when you came out of Egypt, and my spirit remains among you. Do not fear. So the second perspective about the passage, or second point in our notes, is God gives you what you need to move forward. And it's very important. God always gives you what you need to move forward. Make sure you get this down because it's going to move from this slide here real quick here. Uh, think about that for a moment. When they're complacent, when they had missed priorities, God gave them what they needed to move forward. And God is going to give them now what they need to move forward. And anytime you and I are stuck, God always gives us what we need to move forward. We can have the next slide up to the fourth slide. So God says to them, he says, I want you to work. Get to work. So they get to work. But they need encouragement because they're remembering the past glory. They're remembering the past, how it used to be. So then God gives them another strong word. It says, be strong. I want you to be strong. Be strong while you do this. And I love those words because God is saying, I want you to picture a mind to a nation who is stuck and God is saying to them to be strong. Anytime you're stuck, you can usually move a little bit while you're stuck. You're stuck in your car, the car will move a little bit. And it's, I want you to picture that God is reaching his hand down to them and he's asking him to reach up to grab his hand. And he says, be strong. Grab hold of my hand and be strong. That's what he's saying. He's saying that to Joshua. He's saying that to Zerubbabel. He's saying that to the people to be strong. 
And maybe that's the word you need to hear from God this morning, to be strong. And those are the words that God has for people who are stuck. Be strong. And he reaches out his hand and takes them by the hand and says, come on, be strong. And he's encouraging them. Send words of encouragement what he's given them. And then he finally says to every stuck person, he says, you need to get to work. Get to work. He says, you, because I am with you. I'm not going to help you in your work. Get to work. He says, just like I was with you when I brought you up out of Egypt. And just like I was with you when you were in captivity in, in Babylon. And I'm still with you today. I am with you is what he's telling him. So then he gives him the final word, and he says, don't be afraid, for my spirit is with you. It remains with you. And that's really important, isn't it? That he says, my spirit remains with you, so don't be afraid. And God is saying, come on. He says, don't, don't get stuck. Get out of that. Be strong. Work, and don't be afraid. We go back to this image, and sometimes when we're stuck, we're usually right around where Israel was. They were stuck, but we don't want to stay here. We want to be up around our dreams. We want to see our dreams fulfilled. But to get up to here, it's just going to happen by you and I slouching. It's not going to happen by you and I just sitting back and doing nothing. It's not going to happen. But God gives them the encouragement, and he says, know what you have to do. You have to work. You have to be strong. You don't have to be afraid. Do not be afraid because I am with you is what God is saying. And these, these words are encouragement. Sometimes they make all the difference in the world, right? Hear God saying that to us. Be strong, get to work, and do not be afraid. You know, nostalgia can do some wonderful things in our lives. But I read many years ago that nostalgia is always kinder than reality. It always is. It's always kinder than reality. We look back at the good old days, and sometimes those good old days weren't quite as good as we remember them, right? Because we always want to talk about the good old days. Oh, it's so good back then. But when we were back then, we used to complain about those days too. We used to talk about the days before that. And then back then, they'd complain about the days, how much better it was back before that. And we always do that. And I find that nostalgia is always kinder than reality. We don't, our memories aren't real good about the past. We don't think through it, but we want to think that it's better. Nostalgia I've also found to be very seductive because it draws us back. It draws us back. And it, there's comfort in nostalgia. But when you find that comfort in nostalgia, it neutralizes us into action, into the future. We don't move in the future. What happens is we stay here in this quadrant. Well, we need to be up in this quadrant. This is where we need to live, right here. We need to live, uh, live up there. But it keeps us back in the bottom left quadrant. And God didn't stop encouraging them. He's going to use his verse 6 and 9 to encourage them, but also to encourage you and I. And when God uses the word here in verses 6 through, through 9, he says, God, the Lord Almighty, it's the Lord of hosts and the Lord of armies. And what he's saying, he says that he's the sovereign God, a God of strength, the omnipotent God. It's a very powerful term for God, rarely used, but it's very powerful what God is saying. So let's read verses 6 through 9. It says, This is what the Lord Almighty says. In a little while, I will once more shake the heavens and the earth, the sea and the dry land. I will shake all nations, and the desire of all nations will, be, will come. And I'll fill this house with glory, says the Lord Almighty. The silver is mine, and the gold is mine, declares the Lord Almighty. The glory of this present house will be greater than the glory of the former house, says the Lord Almighty. And in this place, I will grant peace, declares the Lord Almighty. Five times he uses that term, the Lord Almighty, to let them realize God's sovereignty, his strength, his omnipotent power. He's reminded them that. And, and, but he, what he's giving, he's giving them a word of prophecy here. He's letting them understand. He's saying to these people, you don't have the resources to do any of this but I do. 
I have all the resources that you need. What he's doing, he's taking away their realities. They're saying, God, you've asked us to build this temple, but we don't have the resources. We don't have the trees of Lebanon. We don't have the gold. We don't have the silver. We don't have the marble. We don't have any of those things. We don't have the Ark of the Covenant. We don't have any of those things. And God is kind of removing the realities in their life. He's taking them away. And God is saying, God is answering that question. You may not have it, but I do. I have everything that you need is what God is saying to them. Stop making excuses. Stop looking at the realities in your life. I have everything you, you need to fulfill your dreams, what you're looking for. I have everything you need. And it's interesting the way he says it. He says, I'll shake the heavens and the earth is what he says. And he goes on, I'll shake the sea and the dry land. Who does that? Who can do that? The only one that can do that is one that created it all, right? It's God. And he goes on, he says, I'll shake the nations. And I want, want you to have a picture in your mind of a piggy bank the size of the universe. And God takes this piggy bank and turns it upside down and begins to shake the nations. He's shaking the universe. He's shaking heaven and earth, and he's shaking it. And, and out of the bottom comes nickels and dimes and quarters and dollar bills and $20 bills and $100 bills till they have everything they need, all the resources they need to rebuild the temple and restore God's glory. That's what he said. I'll shake the nations, and you're going to have everything you need. Trust me. You're going to have everything you need. In Psalm 24, 1, it says, The earth and the Lord's and, every, and everything in it. The world and all who live in it. Everything is God's. He owns it all is what he's saying. And God's answer to them and answer to us. We're in our marriage and we feel stuck. We say, you know, I, I, my best days have already gone by. And I think the best thing for me to do is just move on with someone new. And God is saying, no, no. You may not have the resources, but I do. My strength will be made perfect in your weakness. And he reaches out his hand to us, and he's telling us to be strong. Get to work. Get the help that you need in your marriage. But do not be afraid, but trust me in this. Maybe you have a ministry that God has laid in your heart, something to do for him, something you've been dreaming about, and you're sitting there and you're thinking, man, I can't do this. I don't have the resources. I don't have the gifts. I don't have the talents. And, and how do I know that I'm going to persevere? What if I fail? And we say that, and God is saying to us who are stuck with our dreams, with limited resources, he said, you don't have those resources, but I do. Be strong. Get to work and don't be afraid. Continue to move forward is what he's saying. And if it's a dream, God can take you from this quadrant. If it's a dream from God, he can take you from this quadrant and bring you up to this quadrant. God can do that, right? He can do that. He's able to do that. But it's not by our work that we're going to do. God is saying it's by his presence. God will accomplish it with his strength and his presence. But we got to do our part. But we understand that we do our part, but it's God doing it. It's God doing it for us. And then he gives them a prophetic promise, and he says, I have what you need. But then he goes on, and he says, he says uh, and I'm going to paraphrase it. He says this, you may not believe this, but the latter days of the temple are going to be better than the former days of the temple. And he says this to the people. These people are the people who seen the temple at its best, some of them, when they were children. They saw this temple with the Ark of the Covenant there. The Shekinah glory of God was there. And hundreds of thousands of people have gathered there for those holy festival days. And they had seen it. And they said, how can that be? What you're talking about? We're building this miniature temple without the Ark of the Covenant, without the Shekinah glory of God. And you're saying the latter days are going to be better than former days? How can that work? Like many of their prophecies in the Bible, they are fulfilled incrementally. And finally, ultimately, but incrementally, they come into pass. And God can see some things 
in this quadrant that you and I can't see when we're down in this quadrant. And God can see some things up here that he's doing and see what's going to happen when we can't see down here. And there's some things that God could see that they couldn't see. What, what couldn't they see? Well, they couldn't see that the building that they were going to build, the temple, would be completed in four years. And in 515 B.C., they were going to complete that and have a big celebration to dedicate that temple. Not like the previous one, but it was still good. It was still good. It was still going to be a good dedication. What they couldn't see, that centuries would go by until about the first century B.C. And Herod, King Herod would say, that central temple that Zerubbabel built was a miniature temple. He says, what I want to do is tear down that temple and build a bigger temple. The Jews didn't trust him. They trusted he wanted to tear it down, but they didn't trust that he, he would rebuild it. So what Herod did, he expanded the second temple of Zerubbabel to make it much more grander and much more beautiful. And God, again, took the piggy bank and tipped it upside down and shook a nation where Herod actually says, I want to build a temple for the Jews. Can you imagine him saying that? I want to build something for the Jews. Why would he want to do that? It's God shaking the piggy bank. What they didn't see... In that temple, day after day in that temple, an old man and old woman, they were to come in that temple every day until the consolation of Israel was fulfilled, until they saw the Messiah. And Simeon and Anna were in that temple one day, and there was a young lady that came in that temple named Mary with her little baby to be dedicated. And the glory of that temple far exceeded anything that Solomon could ever build, the glory of that temple. Of course, that baby was Jesus, and Jesus grew up to be the God-man, and he grew up and he began his ministry. And in John chapter 2, Jesus said, destroy this temple, and I will raise it up again in three days. And the people said, what are you talking about? Listen to him. How is he saying destroy this temple? It took 46 years to build this temple. How could he restore it in three days? Well, we know that Jesus wasn't talking about a building. He's talking about his body. And all through continuity of Israel's history, God met with his people in the temple. Then from then on, God is meeting his people in Jesus. From then on. That we're meeting him in Christ. That we come to God in Jesus. No longer in the temple, but we come to God in Jesus. It's all who are in Jesus that we meet with God. And that was a prophecy was fulfilled a little bit more. We don't have time to talk about the temple that's going to be built in the, in the book of Revelation it speaks about. But God sees what we can't see, right? He sees what we can't see. And maybe you're here today, and he's speaking to all of us. Maybe you're working, and, and you're putting your little stones, your little block that God is saying, I want you to build my kingdom. We're building the temple. Build the kingdom. And you're doing your part, and you're doing your work, what God has called you to do. And maybe that's passion that God has for you. It says, what I'm doing, is it really going to make a difference? It's really going to make a difference, because all I'm doing is watching children in the nursery. Or all I'm doing is listening to children share their memory verse and get it word perfect. Or all I'm doing is doing things around the church. Is it really going to matter? Is it really going to make a difference? The prophecy of God says what he was saying to them. What you are doing is going to be great. Why? Because my hand is in it. And I see what you can't see. That's what God's message is to us. He says no matter what you're doing for God, if it's for God and you're, you're accomplishing his will, it may seem insignificant, but my hand is in it. And you can't see what I can see, what I'm doing. The fruit is going to be made through that. The impact, the influence that's happening there. And all of us today, we're stuck. If you're not stuck, sooner or later you're going to be stuck. We all go through that season. If we're honest with ourselves, we've all been there maybe a few times in our life, but we've been just felt like we're, we're just stuck. And so if you're stuck today, listen to the voice of God. 
If you're stuck in your marriage, you're stuck in a workplace, or you're stuck in your Christian life, or wherever you may be stuck, hear the words from God and lock them into your heart the next time you stop moving forward. And listen to what he has to say, where he says, work at it. Be strong. Do not be afraid because I am with you. Look to the future. Don't look to the past. Keep moving forward. Don't let nothing get in your way, but keep moving forward. It was what God is saying to the prophet Haggai, to the people, what he's saying to us today. Don't stop working. Don't stop being strong. Don't, don't, do not be afraid. Continue to move forward because God's hand is in it. He is with us. He says, what I'm doing, even if it seems like nothing's happening, what I'm doing is going to make a difference. But it all begins with Jesus, right? All I'm saying is begin with Jesus. And if you don't know Jesus yet, he's the fulfillment of everything that I've talked about this morning. Jesus is. And God had such an incredible love for you, not just words of encouragement, but that God sent his son Jesus to die on the cross for our sins. That if you don't know Jesus yet, that Jesus came and he died on the cross to pay the complete payment for your sins. And today that you would come and put your faith and trust in Jesus and trust him as your savior. If you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus, please do that today. For all of us, let's just acknowledge that we're all broken people, right? All of us are broken. Hopefully you realize that. None of us arrived. None of our, marriage, none of our marriages are perfect. None of our, our, our Christian walk is not perfect. He's perfect, but we're not. Our walk's not perfect. We still have faults. We still have struggles. We still stumble and all those kind of things. But we're not going backward, right? We're not staying in the back. Backward. We're moving forward, right? Not staying in the past. We want to move forward, right? By the grace of God and the encouragement of each other, we're going to move forward. That's what God wants us to do. Don't let us be stuck in the, in the, in the past. If we're stuck, we're stuck in the past. Do you realize that? We're stuck in the past. Let's all move forward. Let's be strong. Let's work, and let's not be afraid. And, 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 and let me also encourage you, if you have something that God has laid on your heart, this is why I've got this ministry, this burden that God has placed on my heart, and it's really, truly from God. You say, but it's not really a big deal. But what is it? Let's pray for each other. Let's resource each other, okay? Let's pray. Let's see those dreams become realities. That's what we want to see. Our dreams become realities because that's what God wants. If God places a dream on our hearts and our minds, something he wants us to do for him, God has the ability to resource what we need. And sometimes the reason it's not happening is because we haven't taken that step of faith to trust him. And as he says, be strong, work, and do not be afraid. I have everything you need. God has placed in our heart. So I want to pray for you. This morning, I want to do something a little different. And I want to pray for all of you that are stuck. And let's be honest with yourself. We all get there. You're stuck in one of the things I said, your marriage, your workplace, or, or your Christian life. We get stuck there. We're not moving forward, not growing in our Christian walk. I want to pray for you this morning. So if everyone could please bow their head and close their eyes. And if you're stuck this morning, please just raise your hand. Let's just be honest. If you're stuck, don't be embarrassed. If you just feel, boy, I'm just stuck. Yes, just stuck. If you're just stuck this morning, there's a few of you I see. You just feel stuck. I just want to pray for you this morning. Let's go to the Lord in, in prayer and let's just pray. Lord, we come to you and we, we thank you so much for your goodness and your guidance. Lord, I pray for each person here who raised their hand, who admits, honestly admit, Lord, that they're stuck. Lord, I see their hands, but Lord, you see their hearts. You know the details of every one of their stories. Lord, encourage them. Lord, may they hear these words from you right now. To be strong, work, I am with you, and do not be afraid, because my spirit remains in you. May, Lord, 
May those words from you become fresh hope and encouragement. A movement to a quadrant that only seems like a dream today. Lord, we, that through your strength and your power to make those dreams a reality in our lives. Help us, Lord, to, to move forward in our lives, to become all that you have for us to be. Lord, if we have sin to confess, this is a time we want to just help us to realize the sin so we can confess it so that wouldn't hinder us, hinder us and hold us in the past. We have others to forgive, Lord, that we do that right now to forgive them. Let the past be the past. Let, help us to move forward, Lord, with you so we can see our dreams become that reality. But Lord, that all of us, all of us together would say, I'm moving forward and I'm going to be strong. I'm going to work. I'm not going to be afraid because God is with me. And God's presence is with me. His power is with me. His strength is with me. And God owns everything. And I have all the resources I need to accomplish God's will in my life. And so, Lord, I ask by the power of the Holy Spirit, I pray for all those that are stuck and all those that one day we will be stuck, that, Lord, you just empower us and help us, Lord, to yield and submit and surrender our hearts and minds to you to get us out of this being stuck that we've dug ourselves in, this hole that we've dug ourselves in, and help us to move forward in our lives with you. Lord, help it to make it reality, our dreams fulfilled. Help it to make reality. And Lord, we we'll give you all the glory and the honor and the praise. Lord, as we continue in our service, help us to continue to worship you, Lord. We praise you and thank you for all you're going to do in our lives, that all you did in the children of Israel's life, and all you're going to do in our lives today, and all the things you're going to do in the future. We love you and we praise you, and we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.